the 19%. You got found that 19% of people would use the word feminist as an insult. We think the 19% are wrong. Feminism isn't an insult, it's a necessity and a movement to be proud of. And we're here to tell you why. From URN, this is episode one of the 19% Body Contact. I'm Annie Lawrence. Before we begin, just a heads up about some trigger warnings for this episode. We'll be talking about sexual harassment, homophobia, and in the last story, there are references to extreme violence, physical abuse, and murder. We're talking about a serial killer. So, this episode is on the theme of body contact. And what's the first thing you might think of when I say body contact and feminism in the same sentence? Groping, right? When we first decided on the theme, we asked people who were working on the podcast for any stories they might have. Violet came forward. Violet's not her real name, by the way. She wanted to be anonymous. When I asked her what she wanted her alias to be, she came back with the name Violet because it was the name she, quote, uses for creepy guys. Anyway, back to her story. This wasn't something that happened to her a year ago or even a week ago. She came forward the day after this happened. Here's Violet. It was the All Frighter at Rock City, um, the one that had sold out weeks and weeks ago that everyone wanted to go to. Rock City is a music and club venue in Nottingham. Every Wednesday, they hold a student club night called Crisis, which is ridiculously popular. The Wednesday that Violet's talking about was Halloween, but you might have already guessed that from the name All Frighter. I just looked like a cat because <laughs> I couldn't. I didn't have any other costume, um, and um, I had a lot of glitter on. <laughs> um, and then we went to my friend's house for pre-drinks. Um, got there quite late actually because uh, I took ages getting ready. <laughs> um, and then we had to leave really quickly because their ticket times so are really strict. Um, so we got there and. It was, I've never seen a queue, well, it wasn't even a queue really, it was just it was just people in the street. I think one guy actually got run over, it was that bad, because there was just cars everywhere and people weren't moving, and then the police couldn't do anything because there was no way to control the crowd. Violet gets out of the taxi into this insane crowd of people. She's with her friend Ned, and they follow where people are leading until they hit the back of the crowd. She said to Ned, Hopefully the queue will start moving soon. Um, it didn't for a good ooh, 10 minutes. I didn't know who was behind me. I knew it was like a guy because I could like hear a voice. And then I could kind of feel like a hand go towards my leg. And at first I thought, oh, okay, it's just because he can't move. I can't move, he can't move. So I didn't do anything. Um, and then it kind of, it felt like he was putting his like nails like into my jeans. Um, and then it was getting a bit too intimate um, for a stranger <laughs> in a queue. Um, so I, I didn't, I kind of like froze a bit. Um, I didn't really know what to do. Um, and then I, it got, it was, it was getting further down. So I kind of like kicked him um, and then just like swiftly kind of as much as I could move to the side. Um, and it, like I wanted to cry, 
because um, I didn't have any idea who this boy was. Um, I couldn't even recognise him if I saw him right now. Um, and God, it's making me feel horrible now. <laughs> By the way, Violet timed how long she was stuck in the queue for on her phone. It was just under 45 minutes. That's 45 minutes of being trapped in this insane mess of people while she's getting groped by a stranger. Anyway, the queue starts to gradually move and her and Ned eventually get inside. She says to Ned, said, oh, I just want to go to the bathroom for a bit. I just need to um, sit down. Um, and I kind of, it felt, I don't know, I felt kind of a bit like a drama queen. I felt, oh no, I'm just being melodramatic. It was, he, he just didn't, know what he's doing like um there's just awful cue um but then the more I think about it now the less it was okay and for you to someone to do that to a stranger that it was oh it was just horrible if I, I felt felt sorry I felt kind of the vile one whereas it should have been him um and it felt worse because there was nowhere to go um and I couldn't say anything. I was kind of um, trapped, I guess. Um, I think that was the worst feeling, not being, not being able to do anything or say anything. Um, and knowing that he was probably enjoying the fact that I couldn't leave um, and that I could tell anyone. How did you feel when he took his hand away? Um, grateful, <laughs> I guess. Um, but still, I really wanted to leave. I didn't want to go in. But there was only way to get out, which was to go inside. Um, so, what would you say to him now? Um, I'd say the worst thing he did wasn't that he touched me. It was that he touched me and then made me feel bad about it. It's so hard at the moment because yeah. what did did you feel like you could could have said anything to him? I think yeah, because in the past I have said things to boys if they've done if they've tried to touch me, I have said that's not okay, never do that again. Um, but I feel like the claustrophobia and because I felt so scared, those two combined made it so that I felt powerless. Um, in hindsight, though, I would have turned around and said something. Or at least I would have told my friend. So that I didn't feel as alone. Do you think... Um, do you think it might affect how you feel about being in crowds for clubs? Uh, definitely, yeah. Because um, I'm always quite vigilant, usually. Um, and I'm never one to, um, if a boy does something, not just to me, to like any girl, I will usually say something. Um, because I think I went through, when I was a teenager, I went through it too much and didn't say anything. Um, and then it got to the point where I kind of just stood up, I said, no, it's not fair. And it's not okay just because we're in a nightclub and we're both drinking and it's dark, doesn't give you the permission to do that to me or to any girl no matter what she's wearing 
And imagine how, he, if he thinks that's all right, like, he, he did it so casually, I mm. bet. I bet that you're not the first woman that he's done probably that to. Not. And regretfully, probably not the last either. Probably not. episode of the 19% will bring you stories on the theme of body contact. Body contact is essentially intimacy, right? But it doesn't only mean groping. It can be that moment when you're paying for something in a shop and the cashier hands you your change and their fingertips brush against your palm. Or it's when a footballer shoulder barges another player and yells at the referee about it. And it can also be when dancing with a partner, which is what this next story is about. Dancing, not in a club, but in a dance class. So I really like to dance, which isn't a common thing for men to like where I come from. So I was always picked uh, picked on because of that growing up. So when I came to the UK for uni and realised people wouldn't judge me on that, that felt amazing. And I just signed up for as many dance classes as I could. I'm just going to have to stop Sakib there for a moment to fill you in on his background. Sakib was born and raised in Dhaka, the capital city of Bangladesh, where he attended an English medium school. He completed his O-levels there in 2008. That's pretty much the equivalent of GCSEs in England. Then he came to university in England five years ago and has only been home twice in that time, for reasons we'll get into later, I promise. Anyway, back to Sakib. Last year when I was doing lessons on ballroom, we used to do a practice where uh, every time we learned a new step, we'd swap partners around. It was a really nice way of actually learning the technique and actually learning how to do the dance instead of kind of, you know, cheating with a partner and creating your own secret signals that you shouldn't be. One day we had a new um, dancer join the group and she was amazing she I don't know whether she'd done it before or not because it was a mixed group but it felt like it came naturally to her like it flowed all the way down to her fingertips and she was absolutely fantastic so when it was my turn to dance with her I was really really excited but then I noticed as soon as I went into our hold that she really tightened up and I got really nervous because I wanted to really learn how to be a good dancer and I thought I was okay but clearly I wasn't doing something right so she swapped over again and she went all the way around the circle and she was again absolutely perfect all the way around and then she came back to me and went into hold and she tightened up again and this kept happening through the lesson until I realized at the end of it that both she and I shared the same heritage. We're both from South Asia. And with that realization came a punch to the gut because I realized the main reason she wasn't comfortable dancing with me is because she was worried I'd want to take advantage of her. I never actually asked, certainly didn't ask on that day. But when you grow up in a culture that is very misogynistic, and very homophobic, you come to expect these things. I decided that next week, if she came back for the lessons, I would t- 
tell her that I'm gay because sharing that information with her would probably get her to calm down and hopefully relax when she was dancing with me. But then I was terrified because if she is from South Asia, I don't know how she'd react to me being queer. So I said earlier that we'd get into the reason why Sakup has only been home to Bangladesh twice in the five years he's been at university in England. There's a bit of jargon coming up here, so bear with me. Section 377 of the Bangladeshi Penal Code, introduced under British colonial rule, criminalises, quote, unnatural sexual offences, which is used to discriminate against the LGBTQ plus community on grounds of sexuality. Basically, what that means is that Sakib can't be openly gay at home for fear of abuse and imprisonment. There is direct homophobic abuse for the LGBTQ community and its allies, ranging from verbal harassment, physical and sexual abuse, and even death threats, which Sakib has received this month. Bearing that in mind, you can see his dilemma. He doesn't know how this girl is going to react to him telling her that he was gay. Sakib picks up the story from there. So I didn't tell her in the end. And it went on like that for a month where she was brilliant as a partner for everyone else. And then we would both have a really awkward dance at the end. But at the end of our first month, I decided that I should come clean. And I told her and I could see how nervous she looked as I approached her to talk to her and I could feel my whole body clenching up as I told her. It wasn't until she smiled after I told her that we both really relaxed and it felt great because we could suddenly dance together and she was amazing. But it was really sad that for an entire month we lost out on that experience because we've grown up in a world where expecting misogyny and expecting homophobia and just expecting any kind of prejudice is normal. It makes me sad to think that the only way I could calm her down was telling her something so private about myself instead of just dancing. So I'm just really angry sometimes at the world because this is what we've grown up with and this is what we think is normal but it's not and it really shouldn't be so hopefully this story changes some opinions but um even if it doesn't just remember that if you're growing up with facing growing up and having to face prejudice you're probably not alone So this story is steeped in cultural expectations and as I'm not part of that culture, I don't feel as if I could comment on that. However, I think it's important to note that defensiveness in women should not be taken as offensive by men. Society tells us to look out for ourselves. For women, that means that we're supposed to look out for potentially dangerous men. I definitely do this. When I walk home by myself at night, put my hand in my pocket and keep my keys in my fist, just in case I'm attacked or something. 
When I'm alone in the dark, I'll almost like instinctively cross the road to avoid anyone on my side of the street. And then I'll text my friends to let them know that I've arrived home safely. Stuff like that. It's not like anyone's ever just sat me down and said, here you go, these are the things that you have to do to protect yourself. But I do them. And my friends do them too, and so many other women that I know. And I think it's because looking after yourself is drummed into women from a young age because our bodies are not respected. Should women be made to feel guilty about it? No, of course they shouldn't. And so if you look back at the story you just heard, you saw that a woman found a gay man less threatening. And can you see why? Women are told that we must protect ourselves from anyone who has the potential to harm us in a sexual way. The threat of that harm was taken away when the woman in the story found out that Sakib was gay. This next story is from Sydney. Uh, I knew Sydney at school. We weren't in the same year. Um, she was actually two years ahead of me, but we both liked art and I used to get the bus into school with one of her friends. I'm not sure that we actually ever really spoke, but we definitely knew of each other. Anyway, about a week ago, I saw a Facebook status that Sydney wrote. It was about body contact. Here's Sydney. So I got in contact with you because I think I've seen it on your Facebook a few times. Um mm-hmm where you've you've had like an inappropriate comment or a, some something's happened to you which has made you feel like you need to kind of share it definitely yes um and this latest do you, do you want to describe what happened on this okay next one that I saw? um the latest the facebook uh uh status that i think you're referring to um i talked about two incidents which happened to me in like quick succession and i felt like they were kind of interesting juxtaposed together so that's why i talked about them in one go so sydney has two stories the first one happens while she was at a gig and the second one happens in a church the facebook status she wrote said it doesn't matter what where i'm going what i was wearing it doesn't matter any of that because it was different on both accounts but still the same kind of scenario happened like my consent was violated uh, by men and so and I felt so frustrated by it that I wrote about it and said I can't win I just can't win. Sydney's going to tell both her stories like I said before this one happens at a gig here's Sydney. I bought the tickets months in advance. Um, it was for Jack Off Jill, which one of my partners is really is really into this band. So I bought the tickets for the both of us when I saw them come online a couple months ago. Um, we were really excited about it. I kind of had it as a surprise for a bit and was like, we're going to see them. Keep this date free. It's really cool. And we were like, yeah, great, fantastic. It's this goth pop band that um, was kind of around in the 90s. And so they were doing a reunion uh, set of gigs. So, yeah, I bought tickets for that. We were very excited. Um, kind of, we dressed up especially for it, and I had my crop top, and my leggings on, and I looked like this kind of robot. So I had this like costume on, which I was excited about, and my partner was dressed up as well. We went to the gig. We were excited. We saw a couple friends that we didn't expect to see there. Um, overall, it was a good vibe for the start. Um, yeah, and 
I just I we we queued up, we'd gotten in, and we were waiting for one of the support acts to come on, and that's when I needed the toilet. I figured that would be the best time before like before you know all the exciting stuff happened. So I went there, and then this incident happened. Um, yeah, I was walking up the corridor. I didn't really check the faces of the two men because I was just walking past. Why would I? Why would I kind of commit them to memory? Mm. But then, um, but then it happened. You know, one of them smacked me on the ass. The other laughed, and they ran away. And after that, I, I it feel it sounds silly, but I didn't want to stand up and have my butt exposed because I didn't want anyone to slap me on the ass again. So I was kind of like, oh, I don't really want to go back into the crowd with all these people rubbing up against me. So I kind of sat by the bar until my partner like started wondering where I was and came looking for me. And at first, I didn't really want to talk about it because I was like, oh, I feel really shaken up, but I don't want to ruin this gig that we've been looking forward to for months. And so I was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm I'm just a bit, I'm just a bit tired or whatever. And I think they they know me well enough to be like, oh come on, oh come on, what's up? What's really wrong? So eventually I was like, yeah, this happened. And like they were like, tell me who they were, tell me what they look like, point them out to me. I'll go and you know bash some heads together. And I was like, uh, well I can't remember what they look like. They were like two young guys in band t-shirts, obviously in a sea of young guy with band t-shirts, like. That's not really helpful, and yeah, I, I was trying to, and they were kind of like, okay, well, we'll we can go, we can go and watch the support acts um, from the stairs, so I could still sit down, but I was still so not feeling it. I was still feeling a bit freaked out by it, and they were kind of like, you're obviously not enjoying this. Let's go home. There's no point. So like, we didn't get to see the band in the end because because of that incident. Yeah, they obviously thought it was a joke. They were laughing and like running along, and yeah, I just couldn't. I couldn't feel safe in that space anymore because of it. Yeah. And so yeah, so you know, like, so I didn't get to see the band. My partner didn't get to see the band. You know, we went home. We ate lots of snacks and had deep, meaningful conversations instead. <laughs> oh my god. The thing is, I they wouldn't they wouldn't know, would they? Would they wouldn't no. know how much that had impacted upon you? Yeah, absolutely. They'll never know. They didn't know who I was. They don't care. They'll you know they'll never speak to me again. That's the only interaction we'll ever have. It was a funny joke to them, but for me, it was devastating. And it's it was really frightening. I think that's the thing. Like they were both like I I didn't get a big look at them, but I could see that they're like they were bigger, like taller and wider than me. And there's no way that like I would ever like take them in any kind of altercation. And they don't realise how frightening and imposing they are mm. as they walk past. Like even as they walk past, fair enough. But you know when they impose on your personal space like that, you know how how are you meant to respond when you know for a fact that you know there's nothing you can really do physically against them and there's no they won't take no for an answer they don't even give you an opportunity to say no and I, I bet that they they don't even like really remember it like, no it's, they it's probably a really don't poignant instant to you but they probably don't even yeah probably not given it a second thought it's just a, it's an example of the, the well the privilege that they have over it is that they don't have to think about it they can just have that quick easy laugh and then get on with their lives whereas I can't now I said before that Sydney and I knew each other from school. I did art, she did art, and it turns out that she's an illustrator now. She did a foundation year in Brighton and then she did an illustration degree at uni. 
she sketches in different places for practice. And in this next story, she's sketching in a church in central London. She and one of her partners have gone there to hear an award-winning pianist. Apparently, he won the award for, in Sydney's words, being amazing at Beethoven. So yeah, we we went to the church, we sat down, it's like massive, there's a lot of gold ornaments and beautiful lighting and chandeliers down, like a big grand piano. So I'm like, yes, this is absolutely what I want to do. This is, you know, listening to this recital of someone who's absolutely at at the top of their craft. And I get to draw, as you know, quietly. Like it says, photography is not allowed, but drawing is almost always fine. So I was doing that, and you know, it was absolutely beautiful. And yeah, like um, there was like a space on the pew next to us, and like a few people were coming in late. And so this yeah, elderly man uh, comes onto the pew and sits yeah, way too close to me, really. Like considering how much space there is, and I kind of think, oh well, you know, he's an old man. Perhaps it's a mobility issue or something. I'm just going to leave it. It's not really bothering me that much. But then he's kind of like looking, peering over at my sketchbook. I'm kind of like, okay, well, he's not really bothered me that much yet. Um, and then he starts trying to talk to me, he kind of says, beautiful, beautiful, uh, your sketches, they're beautiful. And I'm kind of like, um, thank you, keep drawing. And then he's trying to make conversation with me. He's like, I am whatever his name is, I didn't recall. And, you know, like, where are you from? I say Brighton, trying to like stop him talking to me. And he's trying to make small talk about Brighton, knowing and trying to make small talk about the sea and the beach and I'm like you've obviously only seen Brighton in postcards I don't really want to talk to you about Brighton especially as I'm drawing this beautiful concert the last thing I want to do is listen to you but okay and like I'm giving him one word answers because I don't want to make a scene because this person is playing right now I don't really want to talk so I guess I kind of let him warble on by himself after a while I'm kind of like trying to gesture to the person playing being like I'm obviously listening to this person can you not talk to me please and so he leaves me alone for a while and I think oh that's probably the end of it that's just him not really understanding social cues fair enough but then um, the concert ends we all we're all clapping and my partner I get up to leave and uh, this guy he um, says oh excuse me could you could you could you excuse me for a minute I turn around and yeah he grabs me he like pulls me to his chest and he like gives me this big sloppy kiss on the side of my face and then says goodbye to me and walks off and I just kind of stood there being like what the hell just happened on what planet is this acceptable yeah my my, yeah the partner I went to with this was kind of like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry that happened I should have stepped in and said something um and I kind of said to said to him like I don't really want a chaperone I don't want you to it wouldn't make me feel better if you stepped in and like you know gave him a stern talking to I'd rather this weird guy didn't do these things in the first place so this guy completely imposed himself on Sydney an evening which was supposed to be really lovely was tainted I have the sketches and they're nice and I have the memory of the music, which is nice. But yeah, it's, it's always tainted by that. And that's, you know, I can never talk about this recital without mentioning this one weird thing that happened. I can't just say, oh, yes, I went to this recital and it was beautiful and it was a great experience. It's always like I went to this recital and it was great, apart from this one douchebag who, you know, who just wouldn't, you know, who just wouldn't take my social cue saying, no, I actually don't want to speak to you right now. Just that you're, you're on your Facebook status, you, when you put, I, I feel like I just can't win. 
how how do you think you can win like what what is winning to you um to me winning is preventing these things from happening in the first place by opening like discussion in public with other people so that like perhaps people will re-examine their actions and be like oh actually yeah maybe it's not okay to touch people without asking or like oh perhaps i need to examine my intentions before i talk to strangers like is it is it honestly because i want to you know like have a meaningful connection with them or is it because i've got some weird uh, dominance issues i need to work out I would like to feel safer outside in public, but sometimes people make it harder for me, but also sometimes we get positive experiences from it, so I'm not going to stop making, you know, drawing and going out and like seeing music and appreciating these aspects of life. But I wish I could do it more safely. I wish I could do it without feeling afraid and I wish I could do it without sort of taking an entourage of people because I feel like perhaps people will be more accountable if I'm not alone. Being empowered means that you dictate how your body is treated. But society tells us that women should be passive receivers of attention, be it physical or otherwise. That's catcalling, right? You walk down the street and you're expected to feel flattered when some guy shouts that you're the most beautiful woman he's seen today. And groping, groping is exactly the same kettle of fish. The kind of mentality where we're supposed to think, wow, thank you so much for placing your hands on my body. I am now worth something. Feeling guilty for being upset about these things is just social conditioning and so many women face it. While it can be intimidating and difficult to stand up for yourself, knowledge of consent is absolutely essential for everyone. No action without consent should be brushed off as innocent. Letting people know that they have the right and the reason to stand up for themselves, going against the victim-blaming mentality, will help a lot of people to become empowered. I want to finish by telling you about Peter William Sutcliffe. The year is 1969 and Sutcliffe has a long-term girlfriend, Sonia, Sonia Shawmer. They go out for dates on Saturday nights pretty regularly and one day they'll end up married. But while they're still dating, Sutcliffe's brother spots Sonia with a local ice cream salesman. Sutcliffe confronts her, but she's pretty closed up. And because of that, he decides to hire a prostitute that evening to get his revenge. Sutcliffe drives up Manningham Lane and spots a prostitute at a petrol station. He negotiates. They agree a price of £5, but Sutcliffe has to pay using a £10 note. The prostitute doesn't have any change, but she says that she'll pay him back later that night. Now, Sutcliffe is in the car with the prostitute heading towards her house when he changes his mind. I'd like to believe that he thought of Sonia, but in the statement he later gave to police, he simply said that the prostitute was, quote, too coarse and vulgar. They reach the house, and he tells her that he doesn't want to do anything. He tells her to keep the money, but he wants the change that she still owed him. 
They go back to the petrol station. She gets out and he waits in the car for her to get change. And she returns, but not with the money. A man's walking beside her. They approach the car. The man bangs Sutcliffe's car with a wrench and tells him to move on, and he does. He's humiliated. Sutcliffe can't let it go. Later that month, him and his long-term friend Trevor Birdsell are in Bradford, and he's trying to track her down to get his money back. Birdsell's driving his minivan, Sutcliffe riding in the front seat next to him. They pull up at St Paul's Road and Sutcliffe gets out of the van and disappears out of sight. Birdsell waits. A little later, Sutcliffe returns out of breath and they drive off quickly. In a statement later taken by police, Sutcliffe said that he told Trevor that he, quote, hit an old cow in a house somewhere with a brick stuffed into a sock. He said that, quote, the force of the impact tore the toe off the sock and whatever it was came out. I went back to the car and got in. Here's the thing. The woman he attacked wasn't the prostitute who owed him the money. Over the course of five years, Sutcliffe was convicted of assaulting 12 people and killing 13 women. Almost all of these attacks happened at night and most commonly when they were walking home on their own. Okay, so let's just take a moment to process this. Sutcliffe was a serial killer targeting women, vulnerable women, prostitutes, university students, a mother, school children, one aged only 14. And Sutcliffe was caught, but not until 1981. That's 12 years between the time he hit the prostitute with a brick stuffed into a sock and when he was caught by police. 12 years. And in those 12 years, the police gave one main piece of advice to women in the area. And that advice was to not go out after dark. It was a curfew. And women were angry about it. It was as if they had been penalised. Women working late shifts or who were prostitutes had little choice about when they were working. And so they took to the streets. Feminists, women's groups, students, they all called for women to join them, to reclaim the night. Hundreds of women marched in the inaugural night on the 12th of November, 1977, against rape and for the right of women to walk at night without fear. 38 years later, their campaign is still going strong. That's them singing. I went to reclaim the night in Nottingham on the 24th of October 2015. We gathered in the forest recreational grounds outside the pavilion, bearing placards and high-vis jackets. Before the march began, I spoke with several of the people there, including the Derby feminists who gave their opinions of the event. So what are you expecting tonight to be like? Do you have any expectations? Like, why are you here? Do you think it's an important event? Absolutely an important event. You can't miss out on something that's going to be against violence for women. I mean, it's it's pretty vital to a lot of people's survivals. Um, I don't know, expectations for the night. I'm just hoping for something that's 
you know, it feels quite empowering. It feels like we're making a difference and we're doing something. And mm. hopefully to enjoy ourselves and get some good chanting on the way as well. <laughs> it's all about solidarity. And we're here to support each other as well as everyone else in the local area. And part of our constitution says we support people outside the university as well as within. So that's what we're here for. Oh, cool. Um, and you guys, like, um, do you think it's an important event? Like, why, why do you think Reclaim the Night is, you know, such a powerful event? Do you think it's a powerful event? Yeah, yeah. oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely a powerful event because we're together as a community. It's not just one person standing, it's everyone standing. So it shows like how, how much it affects people and how much, uh, like, community. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it is actually really like a powerful thing for a lot of women to be together at the same time, like walking together. It's almost kind of, you know, battle like, you know, I'm like Bodicea and so like it's kind of a good thing to do all together and stuff, yeah. I met Vanessa, who helped to organise the International Women's Day Festival in Derby. I asked her if she'd been to the march before. It's our third year bringing a repop from Derby to come join in Nottingham. And do you think it's important for you guys to be here to come and support the Nottingham women? Yeah, I think it's so important. We haven't got a Reclaim the Night march yet in Derby, so not to the closest, but I think it's that solidarity of all joining together our efforts and singing louder. And um, why do you think something like Reclaim the Night is so important? I think there's so many statistics and stories you could say about why it's important, but I think the most powerful one is there's so many women who can't be here tonight who've been taken and we sing for them. Women still march because the night is not safe. The sickening and devastating actions of Peter William Sutcliffe may have triggered the marches in Britain, but he's only the tiniest fraction of the problem. Bodies are considered public property to be commented on or touched. Reclaim the Night empowers women against that by creating a space for them to be able to take a stand. Just quickly, I'd like to add that while the marches that happen today are for women only, other people will experience the same dangers and in some cases they experience more dangers than self-defining women. Perhaps one day the marches could move into being spaces open to non-binary people and trans people who face far higher threats of physical danger. But Reclaim the Night in its current form is empowering. I wish I could tell you how to make sense of the stories you just heard. I wish I could tell you how big or how small the problem is. But I can't. Because I don't know. What I do know is that out of every single story on this episode of The 19%, I recognise different parts of it, different elements of it within my own life and in the lives of people that I know. And you probably do as well and I don't know how to solve that I don't know how to solve the problem of consent apart from knowing that it is absolutely essential someone compromising your self, your space your person you may feel like you can call it out or you might not you may feel like you know what consent is and you may not all I know is that we need to talk and think about consent in a better way than we're doing already. 
and that you should never, ever feel like you should have to accept unwanted body contact. is created and presented by Anya Lawrence. This episode on body contact was produced by James Goodison. Special thanks to Harry Bowflower, Megan Ashdown, Rachel Hoskins, Hannah Alderton, Iona Hampson and the 19% Podcast Group for their contributions in making this episode. If you want to get in touch with us or you want to share your own stories, you can email speech at urn1350.net or send me a tweet at Anya A. Lawrence. Nineteen percent.